Awesome date. October 19th, 2009. Awesome topic. Are you ready for some football? I mean, video games. This is the Awesome Cast. folks and welcome once more back to the awesome cast i'm basil i'm eric i'm kevin and i'm doug and that is us so yeah we kind of skipped a week stuff happens weddings happen congratulations to lee and suze lee and suze from the awesome web comics podcast that went up they totally got married and a couple other Podcasts here and there. Well, Sue's on a couple. Oh, that's right. Susie's been on uh, more than one. You're right. Right. She's been on a total of three now. Three now. And yeah, Lee has so, been on. The, yeah, Lee. Obviously, you yeah. guys know Lee. Like, you know. I can think of two web comics and the uh, con. And we also did a wrap up of of oh oh seven or wait the beginning of oh nine. I was saying like in January. I don't think I listened to that one. That's sad. Oh well. But um, yeah. That's for not putting me on the web comics one. I just remembered that. Yeah. Okay. But, Things had to happen. Things be recorded, like recording now. We're going to do something a little bit different this time. We're actually going to uh, have one giant thing of moments of awesome, where we do a, the classic video game, what we've been playing. And we've been playing some neat stuff, so there yeah. we go. I think all four of us here have been playing a different game, mainly. Yeah. Like it's, our, it's our main current game. It's been so, kind of interesting. Yeah. But first, the basics. You can email us at awesomecast at gmail.com. Much like Car Hacks does. Car Hacks. Car Hacks? Carfax. No, Car Hacks. I use Carfax all the time. I love you, Carfax. His real name is Eric, but with a K. What? There's only one real Eric, and that's me. All look, other Erics are merely the illusion. Look, I'm the sorry. Maya that is the world. For, first, he's from Sweden. Which makes him infinitely more awesome. What? And Sweet is awesome. Eric has a K instead of a C, which makes him more metal. It does. Uh, whatever. Okay, he's more metal, but it I'm does. more awesome. So he says, hello, awesome cast. Hello. Carhex here, your only listener. Yes. Yeah. It's not true. He's just our only listener from Sweden. We got one more. We got at least a couple more. Actually, a guy come to my game some go, do you really have a listener from Sweden? Yes. And I'm like, yes, his name is Carhax, and he's awesome. I think you should review Kanan. It's a 12-episode series. I liked it a lot, and it felt kind of like a long, short story, and I'm hoping for a second season. And don't dis- dis- don't get discouraged if you don't understand what's happening in the first few episodes. Oh, I Sent love series that... From uh, my iPhone. Yeah, Jesus. I, I love uh, series that... what's going on at the end of most anime series. And it's by, we're pretty sure, this is... Kanan with a C, not a K. Yeah. Kino, Nassau, Nassau. Ah, it's the 
whoever writes for Type Moon, who uh, Fate Stay Night, Tsukihime, Kara no Kyokai. Generally good. I only watched a couple episodes of this show. It seemed okay, but it's fallen by the wayside. Although, given it's the season of crap anime, I may finish it up. Yeah, exactly. Like, now that it's the eternal desert that is this season of anime, we, uh... It's bad when the fan subbers are like, Wow, this is the worst thing we've ever subbed. No, wait, wait. This other thing's the worst thing we've ever subbed. It's not a good sign. No. Nor is it a good sign. I'm looking more forward to the next episode of Heroes. More than I am to the new anime coming out. That should have never happened. <laughs> Ever. Ever. This is Heroes we're talking about. Ever. Well, Hell, you, I'd rather watch Lost. You do have to give American TV some credit lately in that American TV has really been doing a better job of having a lot more interesting shows. I mean, like, if you think about the shows that are airing nowadays compared to the shows that were airing five years ago, like, we've made a dramatic improvement in the quality of American television shows. Yes, because they can't can't hear me nod, so I say yes. I think it's a couple of things. I think, A, the writer strike is now over, so I'm betting the writers are like, alright, now let's show them what we really mean business. That's actually right, guys! And I also think things like Lost has actually, <coughs> you know, well, Lost, people have, you know, you have your fans and your detractors, but I think just the popularity of Lost, people are like, we need to do some weird out there stuff mm-hmm. that has created more interesting things and we like that we would normally get. Like, you get stuff like, you know, Dollhouse and Flash Forward, and then more experimental things like, you know, them trying to do something different with Stargate, with Stargate Universe. Oh, yeah, like, I really have to give props to the Sci-Fi Channel, like... I don't know, remember if I've mentioned this or not, but uh, last season, Sci-Fi Channel had this great show uh, called Warehouse 13 that was a really good, really good uh, series. Um, it was, it's kind of along the same theme as The Librarian, but it's just done in a, with a more, with kind of a more modern setting. And, uh, and it was really, it, it was really, really <coughs> good. I was really surprised to sit down and watch a Sci-Fi original TV series and it be that good it was it was funny and at the same time it was interesting and like the characters had really good dynamics it was well written uh and then this season you know the stargate stargate universe is i've I've really enjoyed it It has a lot of really great science fiction concepts but uh in the three episodes that have aired at this point i'll say the resurgence of doctor who also helped yes that probably did i think that like also had an impression like now that i'm thinking about it but yeah, we'll we'll give a well not Kane strictly a speaking an American show. Well, no, but I think it had an influence on people Americans yes. watching <laughs> TV. Well, sci-fi started showing it, so yes, that was. Well, I think it's it's one of those things where it's I think there's been a lot of positive influences that has encouraged new things and stuff like Twilight and True. Blood. Anyways, um, hey, the first season of True Blood was interesting till they fell into their usual vampire human romance crap traps. <laughs> Look, shiny vampires are never interesting. Look, I'm saying shiny. They're actually fairly monstrous. There's two general, you know, genres I tend to stay away from: harem anime. All right, three things: harem anime, stuff made by Gonzo, and vampires. Stuff made by Gonzo. It's not like a section. I don't think it's a kind of. It is. That counts. It is. In my world, it counts, and that's really what's important in my universe. My philosophies on life. Mm. 
I've... And now the news. News! Well, okay, the world of awesome, but it's really the news. And news. for the world of awesome. <laughs> Happy Meals are here again with <coughs> Astro Boy Toys. toys. Do they have working machine guns in their butt? Um, no. Well, no. Maybe. <laughs> well, we'll see, kids. We're getting Astro Boy Launcher, Trash Can, Astro Boy Puncher, Peacekeeper, Astro Boy Flying, and Zog. Oh, boy, Zog. What the shit's a Zog? I don't know, <laughs> it's but it's all guys. based off the new, um... Astro Boy movie? Astro Boy movie by Emma Gee or Emma G or whatever you hell pronounce it. Which is going to be um, in theaters on October 23rd. And the words of Dave Merrill, or the paraphrasing anyways, don't care if it's bad, we don't care if it's good, you all go out and see it because it's Astro Boy. And Tezuka deserves it. And then maybe we'll get Gotcha Man. Yeah. Yeah, like anyone else knows who the hell that is besides me and Basil. But yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. I don't know. I... Oh, Mario died. Yes. And man, poor Guy <coughs> Kroll. If you don't know who Guy Kroll is, he's one of the greatest video game journalists of our time. Or at least the sexiest with those gorgeous dreadlocks. Okay. Anyways, my fetishes aside, for awesome African-American journalisms. Um, though he, actually, I think it was like Newsweek he did a column for forever, and now he's actually... He got so good at his columning, he's actually now a consultant. He was in a round table with uh, Miyamoto, and then he asked straight up, where were you when you heard that Captain Luobano passed away, and what was your reaction? And as Destructoy noted, um, for most of this discussion, Miyamoto was able to respond without a translator, but for this one, like, um, Bill Trennan had to step in, he's the main Nintendo translator, and he had to translate and propose, and uh, Miyamoto processed the question, and the reply was, "You're the one that just told me." <laughs> wow! Oh my god! <laughs> so, I, Mr. Kroll had to feel horrible. Like, oh my, oh my goodness! I had to tell Shigeru Miyamoto Mario is dead. <laughs> god, like, um, I don't know if. Uh, there's anyone else listening that's a child of my generation and Basil and Kevin's and well I think Kevin's actually one behind this but anyway <laughs> the point is that growing up as a kid I watched it this is the Super Mario Brothers Super Show come on it like, was it, it was I don't it was a major influence upon your childhood years if it you was. saw it yeah it, it, it was you played these video games and they were the, you know you had your imagination because you weren't one of the dumb kids but you know these blocky sprites. Even with an imagination, it was so awesome to see, you know, I guess the two D reality and also the three D, you know, actors out there. That was just so neat for me as a kid. So yeah, yeah, I preferred the Zelda cartoons. But hey, well they were <laughs> well, the we all preferred. Well, they were the, the Zelda better cartoons. cartoons as it was. Like, Although going back to watching them, they're both pretty okay. Yeah. Hey, but the Zelda one seems way more epic and cooler at the time. Me, beard guys. Yeah, I <clears throat> I like Zelda. I would really actually like to rewatch the Legend of Zelda cartoons. That is not one of my childhood things I've been able to revisit yet. Now, to give you an example of the usual 
um, tone of that roundtable. They also asked why Princess Peach wasn't playable in the new Super Mario Brothers. Why isn't she playable? Well, this was Miyamoto's response. I thought it would be nice to have her as a playable character, but the Toad characters had a similar physique to Mario to the Mario character than Peach does. And if one of the four had a dress, we'd have to come up with special programming to handle how the skirt is handled in the gameplay. And that's really the only reason why Peach isn't playable. Of course, if we had Wario in there, we'd have to program a way to make him fart. Laughter. <laughs> huh. Oh, well, I've been handy. Here, I thought you had to go rescue her, and that's why we couldn't play as her, but... But turns no. Out it was the skirt. Darn skirts. <clears throat> so, the, I think the obvious solution was to put Peach in pants. But that would rock, but hey. Bandai Namco's thinking of <laughs> Vesperia 2. Yes! Awesome! No, not oh, until you bring us PS3 Vesperia to America. Oh, man, I just want more Vesperia all the time. Tells Vesperia 2, Raven and Alexei's excellent adventure. Yes, it would be so epic. Tales of Vesperia 3. Now this was... Yuri um, uh, and Rapide's bogus journey <laughs> to the vet. This was a developer discussion to celebrate the uh, theatrical release of the First Strike uh, movie. Which has done really well in Japan from my understanding. And uh, apparently people keep asking the general manager, you know, will you be making Vesperia 2? The general manager, uh, Makoto Yoshizumi, responded, Don't talk like a fan! <laughs> but, but we want a Vesperia 2. But it appears within the company there is a desire to make part 2. Yes! We're I mean... thinking about it. Or we should make, make tales of something else. Who knows? <clears throat> I don't know. This could just be thinking about it the way that Quentin Tarantino thinks about making a sequel to every movie he's ever made and then doesn't do it. Reservoir Dogs 2, coming in 2037. Calling it now. He doesn't... No, they've uh, announced Reservoir Dogs 2, actually. They, but, it's actually, I think it's a trailer, <clears throat> too. There's no trailer for Reservoir Dogs 2. There is no trailer. I would have seen a Reservoir Dogs 2 trailer. Oh, we'll have to check the internet after this is over. Well... Yeah, well, we, this is a nerd cockfight. It's like... I'm willing are. to accept defeat. More about Vesperia. God damn you, Basil, for being the better You man. know, there is a Raw out for the first strike. For the first strike movie. If somebody wanted to download the Raw, and you know, if we could watch the Raw. Maybe I've been masturbating furiously to it <laughs> well, over and over again. Maybe. I don't know if anybody's translated it yet or not, but if there are any, I don't think translators so. on they need to get on that. Is it like, like a real version or like a cam rip? I don't know. I have I haven't seen it yet. I I've don't think it's out on it DVD exists. yet, but I could uh, be wrong. And I bet will happen. We probably won't see an actual translation until the DVD and Blu-ray release hit. Uh. I don't think it's on DVD yet. Also, I could be wrong. I'd like to be wrong because that means it might show up on the internet as a torrent with subtitles any day now. That but. and the guy did say it might actually be another Vesperia movie because quote I don't know when it will happen, but we'd like to show these things in video form. Of course, this was for a screening of the movie, so we would have to announce that, hey, this could be another movie, guys. Hey! Hey, movie! Yeah. And, of course, it could be a random sequel set decades in the future starring brand new characters that no one cares about. Aww. What, tells the symphony? And an 80-year-old Carol tying the two together. <laughs> Wait, what, what, what are we ragging on? The Wii. Yeah, tells the symphony. Yeah, yeah okay. 
Tales of Symphonia 2, only not really. You know, and then the best thing to come out of the new season of Haruhi Suzumiya is that we're getting a movie of the disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya. Eh? I just haven't been impressed with the new season. Well, the pro- I, I have, I liked it. The new season was weird. It's like, like the same six episodes over and over again. Well, that was the first half. Yes. Was the eight episodes of Endless <clears throat> Eight, where they showed the same episode over and over again, but didn't skimp on the animation, where they reanimated the majority of the episode over and over and over again. Like they do it in different shots. Sometimes it would be the same shot, but all the characters would be in different clothes. Like they recorded lots of new dialogue of the same dialogue. Like they really worked to spend money on rehashing the same thing over again and why the world will never know was it the most epic troll yes were the license holders demanding this to make more merchandise that more lonely males will buy yes yes i think it's the most epic troll ever. i think it's the most epic trolling ever. like in the history of anime so, and it's so yes. epic that you just have to sit back and go yes if you're listening to yes, Kawamori, you you're going to have to try harder now <laughs> yeah exactly the bar has been raised my friend just thinking that you can troll out every sexual fantasy the japanese have in a basketball mecha show just isn't going to cut it anymore yeah it's just not enough like like you have been beaten sir Beaten at your own game. I don't care if you have a character with boobs <clears throat> the size of basketballs. In a basketball show. Yes. In a basketball show. With the dude with the dude who likes her, loves how they bounce. bounce. And how spherical they are. <laughs> but, you're going to try harder. But, this means we are getting a movie of the actual part of the show, or the series, that people have been actually wanting to see in animated form. Hey, if you grabbed both of them, would that be considered double dribbling? Yes. Yeah. Oh. And you'd be thrown out of the game. Ugh. And is that really a game you'll be thrown out of? No. Speaking of movies, Ava 1.0 and eligible for Oscar. Why? Well, you see, the um, the rule is you have to, had to been exhibited outside the U.S. after January 1st of 08. Oh. But it premiered in Japan at September 1st, 2007. Oh! So it missed it coming. by a few months. Right in the... Groin. That's okay, because Ponyo opened up in July of 08 in Japan, so it's still up there to be nominated. Nah, I, mean, I really don't think... Trophy. I don't even think it was eligible. I don't think Ava would win, because sadly, America isn't ready to give an Oscar to a serious cartoon. Hey, Ponyo was serious. Did we give an Oscar to a serious cartoon at some point? They didn't know it was serious. That was spirited away. I thought we already did that. They didn't know that was serious. But, as you know, the Annie News Network noted, the top three films released the ones that are most people are considering thinking they're you know, nominated is, of course, Ponyo, Up, and Coraline. Oh, Up wins. Well, all three of those, like, all are, three of those are really great uh, movies. The, like, oh man, Coraline. They're, they're yeah. all brilliant, but the, the Oscar people have, you know, their hands in Pixar's pants. Like, like I, I really think Up's gonna, gonna take as it. As Jack Black said... Last year, do a, to make money as a voice actor, do a Dream DreamWorks Pixar, and then bet your whole salary on Pixar winning the Oscar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's kind of funny because you know who are the people that handle you know the Disney Miyazaki film translations? Pixar. Pixar. So it's kind of like Pixar versus Pixar. Pixar in a way. versus Pixar in a versus kind of Coraline. Way. In a yeah. weird way. I, I hope Man, Cor- poor Coraline. I, yeah, to tell you the truth, I hope Coraline wins. Out like of all those. Coraline was oh. really brilliant. It, it was really imaginative. 
perspective in a way uh, we weren't expecting. But all three of them really were. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I can honestly say that if any one of these win, I think they would all deserve it. Yeah. But but I I, just, I do want to put in that I hope... My, my hat's in the in the Coraline ring on these three. Like, uh, mm. just because I'd like to support more dark childhood fantasy <laughs> movies like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, when we were kids, there was a lot of dark childhood fantasy stuff. You know. God, anybody like, see Sleeping Beauty? I really think that's one of the reasons why they're making oh, yeah. Epic Disney and gave it to War Inspector. Oh, Epic Disney. Can we talk about Epic Disney? Yeah, we can talk about Epic Disney. Epic Disney's like. awesome. It's epic. And Disney. Disney. Explain this Epic Disney to us. Okay, so back in the day, there was this brilliant, genius, hunk of a mind of a man named War Inspector. He gave us his gems as Deus Ex, Thief. System Shock. System Shock. And the, whose wife also wrote, wrote some wonderful Shadow on Earth Dawn novels. Oh, no, yeah, come on. You're straying off the path. It's important. Those are important. <laughs> to me. To me. It's part of the story. <laughs> Anyways, Warren Spector is a brilliant, <clears throat> brilliant man. And his his studio, Junction Point Studios, pretty sure it's called Junction Point, um, a few years ago was suddenly bought out by Disney and then no one heard from him ever since. But he told everyone, hey, it's going to be kind of surprising. Turns out he was working on the re-envisioning of Mickey Mouse. And they're introducing it in a video game form. Yep. Like, they were like, Disney was like, we want you to make a Disney game. And he was like, I don't You make, want me to make I a don't Disney make game? games for kids. That's said, not we what know. we said. <laughs> yeah, That's was, not what we asked. That's not what we asked. <laughs> we said we want you to make a Disney game. And they pretty much what we want you to re-envision Mickey. And I think it's a real, you know, strong sign of video games that they're choosing to reinvigorate Mickey through a video video game. game. Not through a TV show, not through a movie, but through a video game. It almost makes me wish it wasn't on the Wii. I know that sounds terrible, but I just... It's not because I dislike Nintendo or dislike the Wii. Well, okay, maybe it's that. But it's that I'm just praying... And I'm hoping Warren Spector can see it through that when we do get Wiimote stuff in it, right, it is used awesomely and not obligatorily because they feel they have to use Waggle. Well, from what I understand is, the whole idea is they actually went back and actually had to get rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, who was actually Disney's first cartoon creation (coughs) that he lost the rights to to Universal before he made Mickey. And what happened was Mickey became really popular and Oswald, like, fell to the wayside. And the whole plot is Oswald's pissed off because Mickey was so popular and he was thrown by the wayside. And Disney actually had to get the rights back just so they could make this video game. Like, I thought that was really impressive that they've pushed so far that they had to get rights back for an old character that old. But probably it was kind of easy to get because no one's used it. Yeah, I'm sure no one's using it. I mean, the whole idea is that like Disney's like Mickey screwed up um, this world. Like he, it was like a painting world. Yeah, he actually he actually um, threw paint thinner onto it and screwed it up, and then set it to a side and didn't look back at it. Went oops, whoops, my bad. Went off his life. Meanwhile, like the Phantom Blot, which is another old character in old Disney shows. Actual cartoon <coughs> shows has pretty much taken over, and 
like Mickey gets thrown back into this world. Now he has to save it that he screwed up. Screwed up with Mecca Donald. Like, and so it's this weird, like almost Tim Burton esque, like Disney World. Oh, and he the 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 Wiimote is supposed to be being implemented in a um you know it's a painting so in, yeah. in a paint like way it's kind of like a Okami kind of thing. That could be um, cool, but the problem with <clears throat> Okami on the Wii was that it was actually harder to control the Wiimote precise motions than it was. Well, I'm really hoping there's Wii Motion Plus involved in this. Like, yeah, that's it, a, that's my big big hope is that Wii Motion Plus is involved, and Wii Motion Plus essentially makes the Wiimote the one for one item we thought we were getting when the Wii came out. And also, I have a feeling that remember Okami was a PS2 game. Yeah, they poured over to the Wii. And also right. it could have been that the people who were programming it didn't quite get it quite right. Whereas this one's been built ground up for the Wii. So it might actually work out better this way because they actually have been designing it from, from day one to use these controls. <clears throat> so here's, um, we're ho- here's hoping it's good. Yeah, the full release date's in like next year at the end of next year. So they've yeah. got plenty of time. So if you're getting Christmas presents for Eric for next year, no. But, um... But, I had a wonderful transition from awards to awards, so let's pretend that happened. Because apparently, foreign fans can now vote for the, uh, Seiyu Awards. Oh, snap. For the, um, Overseas Fans Choice Award. Overseas Fans Choice Award. To recognize more voice actors by recognizing opinions from more areas. Like, the uh, website has actually both in English and Japanese. And we can vote for people hmm. to win awards. In Japan. Go us! Yeah. Yeah! And yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's what I got. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah. it is kind of neat that they're going, hey, I guess these people do watch anime. Maybe we should give them a an award <clears throat> because, you know, or give them an award that we can vote on. You know, Since they we watch, watch lots of shows too. They watch a lot of anime in America. Let's throw the dogs a bone, shall we? Yes. Well, we do make <laughs> much money over there. Uh, do they? Uh, uh, anime? Yeah, Overseas okay. market is income. It's yeah. noticeable income. I'm not sure what percentage or income it is. Like, but it's, it's a noticeable market. It's not like it used to be, but it's still, you know, a good yeah. chunk. Okay. It's getting to be like the video game market where you have to have the hits. Like, the video game market is kind of reaching the point where to make money with the video game, you've got to have the blockbuster video game. Well, that's actually weird. In video games, actually, is kind of reverse what's happened with anime. Like, in anime, it's become more insular in Japan where they're focusing on their money. Whereas, because, possibly because of that, um, video games aren't making nearly the amount of money in in Japan that they used to. So they're having to focus more on overseas video game sales to actually make a profit. Make a profit, yeah. So, here's hoping. Have, have they announced that v- PS3 Vesperia is going to come to America yet? Nothing to us. Not yet. Said, yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, they brought out Eternal Sonata, so... They did. Probably the big question is whether or not they think it's worth the investment to um, do all the new voice acting bits for all the new skits and stuff. Yeah, it's a so, shame, because I'd really like it to come out in the U.S. and come to my Walmart, so I have an answer for parents when they say, what kind of video game should I buy my little girl? Yes. Yes. But I know that before we go on to the main video gamey subject, Eric had a podcast to pimp. Oh, yeah. 
Um, well, I don't actually have the URL on me. You've caught me in the pants down, actually. I didn't actually bother to memorize the URL for this. I'll clear the show notes just right before I put it up. All right, will do. Um, but it's, um, it's the Hardcore History Podcast. And it's essentially um, a really awesome guy who goes through and makes history interesting for the layman. Um, uh, some of you, since some of people who know me listen to this, uh, I'm a history student and I'm very interested in that kind of thing. And I'm very, very um, happy about any attempt to make history accessible to normal people. I think that people... So they think of history, they think, oh, memorizing a giant block of dates, boring, snore, snore. History is the greatest story that's ever been told, and it's completely true. And I, this guy gets that. He understands that, and he, he brings the, the drama, the action, the, the you know humanity of history to the forefront. And he does it in an awesome little uh, about hour long podcast. Um, so we'll throw the URL up there, and uh, go check it out if you're interested in all... I mean... And we're talking about some crazy cool stuff here. Um, I was listening to a discussion the other day on the effects of alcohol on the leadership of the world. Like, several, you know, world leaders in several countries are known to have drunk heavily. It was just the culture at the time, or they were alcoholics, or what have you. What would it have been like if they didn't drink? Would it have been worse? Would it have been better? You know, what's the, what's the deal there? And it was a very interesting discussion. And just stuff like that. So, so write it down, write motherfucker. Down, check it out. Um, you know, if you email them, tell them the awesome cast sent you. Maybe we'll get linked back. Another podcast, sadly, it's probably the best podcast ever, and but I'm going to tell you about it because you probably haven't heard about it yet. The Bugle. It's um, actually done by the London Times, and it has two guys. One is this guy named Andy from London, and this other guy named John from New York. And by John, I mean John Oliver. Of the Daily Show. Really? Yes. And it's for like 30 to 40 minutes of them talking about the week's big world news and making fun of it. So it's like the Daily Show. It's the Daily Show. For your podcast. Yes. With a British sensibility. That just makes it better. It's great. Like, it's awesome. I, I, I would try to tell you some of the jokes, but promise you, it's something, it's probably funnier than you have heard all week. That's really awesome. Like, it is It is really, really great to listen to. And I didn't know about it until I read a thread on t- um, a forum I go to called Talking Time. And they're like, I listen to this podcast. And I'm like, why haven't I heard about this before? So I'm spraying the wisdom to you now, dear listeners. Go for Listen it. to them, too. Listen. They're hilarious. And British. And British. So... We're gonna have James play some music, and then we'll talk about some video games. Laid out video games.
And we're back. Woohoo! So, video games. Video games are pretty fun. Yeah, I love video games. Video games are pretty great. Yep. Video what? Well, that's now. a good podcast. How many oh, awesome yeah. that are awesome? We're going to get video games. So no. many awesomes. <laughs> I hate video games. Video games suck. You suck. I know. <laughs> and but how? Because he suck. Mmm. Some video games. So, video games. So, we uh, tried DJ Hero recently. Yeah, that's pretty fun. Um, it's no Beat Mania, but uh, it it's different. It's, it's different. It is. Di- they managed to make a different DJ game, which is kind of funny because of all the the knockoffs and everything. I don't think I've seen anyone who's made a. Uh, it's, it's difficult. I think some of the people who some of these hardcore Beat Mania guys who are like you know oh I can you know American games can never be as tough you know oh fuck rock bands you know it's not hard at all. I think these guys need to pull up some uh, DJ Hero and sit down and. Because it's uh, it's a pretty difficult little game, and you're talking to a guy who's played Keyboard Hero, so Keyboard Mania, excuse me. Coming soon, Keyboard Hero. Chance, this is the same demo that everybody else in the world has played. So, have you ever heard anyone talk about a demo of DJ Hero? This is that this demo. Is it. Yeah. Same three song, same three sets, set, um, same songs. Uh, we just happened to come across for a day. There's a setup to try it out during one of GameStop's um, demo days. And it, uh, I'm sorry. Did you? I mean, did you want to? Well, it, I think James Inubito. I'm sorry. Let's use his DJ name. Uh, put it best where this is. It's as much about being a DJ as playing guitar as playing guitar and Guitar Hero. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's got a slider and it looks much more like an actual turntable than the Beat Mania table and and everything. But at the end of the day, it's still a video game about pressing buttons when the pretty color lights come on. Uh, the music is very interesting because it's a lot of... of uh, it's all mashups. Mashups. It's like 80 of the... Well, it's 100 songs and 80 are mashups. Right. So, mm. so there are 20 non-mashup songs on there. But... The, but a lot of it's like... In, the, uh, they got you know a good DJ or DJs to actually mix... Yeah, re- remix re- these. Re- re- yeah. Remixes. So the music's really good. Oh, the music's really good. The gameplay's fun. I got a couple of little qualms. Um, the slider feels kind of funny. It does not feel natural. I get the feeling that that's where a lot of the difficulty's going to come in, is using the slider in one hand and the turntable in the other. I know that Inabito had an issue, actually, because since he's an actual DJ, he actually has DJ equipment, and a slider doesn't actually have a stop in the middle like this one does. But as a video game, it kind of needs a stop to let you know where the middle is. Yeah, so you can kind of feel the... the middle, yeah. But it still feels kind of weird. I kind of wish there was slightly some tension before you hit the stop. Yeah. That way you know whether you're focused, you're you're pushing it more right or more left, rather than just had to remember what side you're on. I, I gotta tell you, at the end of the day, I think that uh, uh, the worst thing about DJ Hero, and I, and this is we're just talking about the the nitpicks right now, and it's not too horrible, is actually that the three colored lines when you screw up fade out and go away. And that's fine if it's just you're hitting the buttons. But the slider, you have to know where to place the slider based on the lines. And so when that line grays out... You're not sure quite where to yeah, place the lines sometimes. Yeah, you're not sure where sometimes. to place the slider. So, you know, that's a little annoying. And the fact that the music totally cuts out when you screw up. Yeah, like it, well, when you screw up, you really can you tell screw, you screwed yeah, up. Yeah, the, the entire song stops. And half the reason you play these kind of video games is to kind of jam along with the music while you're pressing the buttons. So while that's maybe realistic for DJing, it's not so fun for, you know, the DJ player. Of course, conversely, when you're getting it all right, 
Oh, you yeah. You really yeah. feel like yeah. you're getting yeah. it you're all do- right. Yeah, when you're doing it, the scratching and everything, I mean, you feel like you're the one doing it. So, I mean, there is a balance to it. We just feel it should be balanced a little bit more on the side of easy. That, yeah. <laughs> that just pure, like, hardcore, do it all exact right, right now. It, it really is a game that you're just going to have to sit down and uh, fiddle with. I mean... It it's, uh, feels a lot to me like the first couple of times picking up Beat Mania when I had never played a Beat Mania game before. The using the turntable at all for me then felt weird, un- awkward, and unnatural. Now I play Beat Mania all the time. It, it's that kind of difficulty curve, which is on par for so, most music games. Music games. So hey, chances um, are if you like music games, I would say you probably will end yeah, up it, liking DJ you like music Hero. games and this kind of music. The trick is whether you want to spend one hundred and twenty bucks on that. Yeah, it is a little steep. Um, but it's a nice controller. I mean, it is fine looking controller. Um, it, so you're really paying sixty for the game. That's the average cost. So you're paying sixty for the controller. Yeah. And, and if they had that controller sitting up by itself, right? I don't think I would blink at sixty for that controller. So it's not too bad, but it's still like you know, one hundred twenty bucks for a single video game in this economy is still. Now, um, Inu and I did play the multiplayer mode of that at GameStop. Which is even weirder than the um, mashups. It's like a versus match, where one person's playing the guitar and the other person's doing the DJ stuff. Now, is there an official DJ Hero guitar, or is it just the? It's just a guitar hero. Guitar, guitar. hero guitar. Yeah, yeah. Like when you're playing the guitar, it plays like Guitar Hero exactly, complete with like overdrive and everything. Okay. Like, and it's like, and you're constantly trying to like, it's like two songs running coincide each other. But it doesn't feel like they're quite mixed quite right, so it's like, which song is overpowering which song? And it was, we only played it once, and it was really weird, and I'm not sure if I liked it or not. But it's, it's there. It's there. Well, like, like I said, at, at the end of the day, if you are a Beat Mania fan, pick up the game. Like, the guys that don't do your snobbish, oh, it's not Japanese, <laughs> crap, like, go pick up the game. Um, I already know that you're spending um, $80 on importing Beatmania games. You don't mind spending $120 on a game of controller. It's true. Um, I don't think I would recommend it to the guy who plays Guitar Hero sometimes on, on the weekend. I think it's a... it is a, To me, it is above the Guitar Hero level. Like, when I picked up a Guitar Hero guitar for the first time, I could pretty much rock out normal mode, boom. Like that. Like, it was, it was fairly easy. That was good Guitar Hero 1. Um... This game, man, I really felt like, man, maybe I need to step down to easy for a little bit to, to play through these songs before I can. Which come easy back is actually really easy because it actually takes it's the same thing with no crossfader. Yeah, let's see. That, so so it's just doing the, the scratching. Yeah, that's got a difficulty curve from hell. Then yeah, like, it does. Like I played it on easy first. Like okay, I'm doing this easy, all right. Let's try. Oh my god, this crossfader is so weird. Yeah, you just you just got to teach yourself to use it. Like, I'm not getting it, but I'm not the target audience. Nor am I. I was a target audience for Uncharted, too. Which I've only played, like, the first hour or so. It is now tied up there in my my mind for... Along with Infamous and Brutal Legend for best startup of a video game ever. Brutal Legend has an amazing amazing startup startup. for a game. Like, which we'll get to, but, like... Like, you know, Infamous had the thing where it just pressed start. Which starts the bomb explosion that starts off the entire story. That was awesome. You know, Uncharted, after you start the game up, it's Nathan Drake, and he wakes up, and he's covered in blood. 
You realize it's his blood. He's on a train. Oh, he's on a train falling off a cliff. And you have to, and you learn how to play the game by climbing up the train for dear life. And that was pretty epic. I was not expecting that to be the beginning of the game. And from that point, it actually does a really good job of doing um, flashbacks to tell you where you, of how you're gotten to that point. It's a very much intermediate res opening. And that was really, really neat to play because you're like, oh gosh, what's going on? Oh, that's what's going on. Oh God. Okay, that's what's going on. Oh God. It's, it's good stuff. I, I'm really, really impressed so far with the opening. Might change as I play through the game, but so far that first hour was, is banging. Mm. Excellent. So who wants to go next? I vote Kevin. Kevin, what have you been playing lately? Besides, never mind. Er? Well, <laughs> Brew Legend, of course, will be the end, because that's the yeah, biggest Yeah, I have been chunk. playing a lot of Brew Legend. My organ. Okay, so what have you been playing? I thought Kevin was going to go. I was. I was going. He's, he's got more stuff. <laughs> oh. He's playing games. Jeez, dog, why don't you slap Kevin in the face? I will. Ah! That was the butt, not the Again. face. Again. <laughs> Please, sir, I have another. Uh. Fantasy Star 4, go. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fantasy Star 4. This is the game I've played through more times than any other video game ever. I can play it on at least five different systems at any time I want. And do? Yes. The easiest way is to get any of the uh, Sega collections, for either the Sega Genesis collection or the Sonic Genesis collection, the Sonic Genesis Collection gets you more games, though, for any of the current consoles, except for Wii. But you can get Fantasy Star 4 from the Virtual Console. You can even get it for PSP, or download it from the PlayStation Network for PSP, which is how I've been playing it lately. Um, Fantasy Star is... So what is Fantasy Star, Kevin? Fantasy Star is a RPG series that started on the Sega Master System and Sega Genesis... That, I don't know, it's kind of Sega's answer to Final Fantasy, I think. But uh, the original is more of a, like, overworld map than with first-person dungeon crawl kind of thing. Uh, is it the way 4 is? 4 is not. 4 is your basic RPG. Uh, you get a party, adventure, fun, it's armor, equipment. But I, at the time... On Genesis, it's got it tells the story with these little cutscenes that are like comic book panels almost with dialogue. That okay, not so great now, but they were like really awesome on the Genesis when there was no such thing as CG cutscenes. Uh, and it's got a charming cast of characters. It's more of a sci-fi story than fantasy, but it's it's a fantasy game. They just Coach it in sci-fi terminology. There are blasters. There is armor made out of things like graphite and ceramics instead of Ori Halcom and uh, Mithril. But it's kind of the same concept. Uh, weird cast of characters. You know, typical JRPG hero guy. Cool female mentor. Weird owl man with an axe. Silly doctor. Uh, random cat girl. <laughs> Psychics. Weird lizard guy. Whatever. You know. <laughs> And a wizard in a fantasy sci-fi world where they don't have magic, but have things that work just like magic. 
And people are really impressed. Is this the one where people were really impressed if you had magic? Yes. And But I cast Fireball with my technique. I cast Fireball with my magic. You can use magic? There is a moment like this in the game. It's like, you can cast magic? It looks different. <laughs> it does have a nice little, the battle sequences, you kind of are looking at the character from behind, and they do kind of jump up and interact with the enemies in a way that you don't see in a lot of the, like, here's the line of enemies, like a la Dragon Quest titles. The characters actually kind of jump up and hit the enemies, which is still endearing to me to this day for some reason. I made it sound really boring, everyone. <laughs> Get Persona! That's a good remake, too. <laughs> You've also been trying out that whole Kingdom Hearts, I heard. Yeah, for like uh, all of an hour. I mean, I really played it for like an hour. I, I swear I'm going to go back. So the first hour so far has been the... Uh, Kingdom the, Hearts, the game of endless tutorials. Yeah, and it's also been a pure love letter to the Axel Roxas slash shippers. I actually start turned on that game and I started playing it for a little while. Um, you had that game? I played it on your system. And, uh, I don't know. It was... It was pretty much just like what Kevin said. Pretty much obviously a love letter to the Axel Roxas shippers, which I am, and so I enjoyed that aspect of it. But, I don't know, like, I just didn't get very far. You know, I gotta say that, that I've played a bit further than, than uh, Kevin and Tuzi in it, and I gotta tell you, if you're one of these guys that was like me, it was like, man, I love it that they've taken, made a Disney game and melded in a few Final Fantasy elements. Man, are you gonna hate hate this game? Like this game, Organization Thirteen all the time. Yeah, it, it's like it it's takes nothing but the ninety nine percent of the Disney has been sucked out of it. This is this is p- almost pure square half of the of the universe. I guess if we want more Disneyness. We're gonna have to wait till the PSP title. Yeah, well, that's what I've heard. That's what I have heard is that the PSP title is the heir to the people who loved Kingdom Hearts One, while the DS title is the heir to the people that loved Kingdom Hearts Two. I know. I want me some prequel Disney action. <laughs> Not only prequel Disney action, but God bring the platforming back to the series. Because I'm sorry, the hack and slash gameplay is boring without the platforming. That's just me. yeah, and the much better magic system. Speaking of platforming, uh, well, sort of platforming. The one I've been playing is uh, Mario and Luigi Three: Bowser's Inside Story. Um, it's the tale of two gay Italians who find a giant lizard-shaped mecha that they pilot from his butt. Now, what I've told you is not real, but it actually could be a pretty general <laughs> description of Mario and Luigi Three. Um, for those not familiar with the Mario and Luigi series. It's a really cute little RPG series that started on the Game Boy Advance and kind of continued with Partners in Time on the DS that has players controlling both Mario and Luigi at the same time by using um, a single button that is mapped to that specific character. It's a action-y RPG in the same way that Super Mario RPG was an action-y RPG in that when you do an attack, you can press a button to cause more damage, you can... And it, it uh, I can't remember if Super Mario RPG could do this, but you can defend attacks by mm-hmm. you could. You yeah, could. yeah, with with tapping at the right button, yeah, right time. Mario and Lu- uh, Luigi takes it a little bit further in that there's always at least two separate ways to dodge: uh, one the jump, and the other the hammer. And you kind of have to figure out 
which attack needs to be dodged with what on the fly as the game's going on. It's like um, they took the element from our RPG and then really expanded, expanded on it, it like yeah. crazily. It's, it's got a really awesome aesthetic. Um, it looks sort of like uh, Paper Mario, but a little bit, little bit uh, more cell shaded two D rather than the than the paper thin two D. And um, finally, and probably one of my favorite parts about it, it has absolutely hilarious writing. The dialogue in Mario and Luigi Three is some of the four funniest things. You'll, it's some of the funniest writing that you will find in a video game. Once again, the treehouse comes through. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, Fawful, God, like, I has chortles whenever he comes on the screen. <laughs> you know, um, it, all characters always have outlandish accent. There's a set of moles in this particular game that all say, bro, what's up, broski? We're doing a bro thing down at the bro house tonight. <laughs> um, there's a, a character who speaks in a horrible French accent the entire time to Bowser. Are they voiced or is it text? It's text. Okay. Um, but there are little voices. Like, the Mario and Luigi characters have Mario Simlish that they speak. Like, like they go... And in the Mario voice. Uh, Simlish with an Italian accent. Yeah, exactly. And they do actually, every once in a while, have a couple of lines. Mario will say Mario. Luigi will say Luigi. Um, Etc. at all. Um, and anyway, in this, that's the basics of the Mario Luigi series. The, this particular game is actually a split title where the character either controls Mario and Luigi or their arch nemesis Bowser. Essentially, without going into too many story details, the main villain of the Mario and Luigi games is actually a character named Fawful, who uh, <clears throat> uh, decides to trick everyone in the Mushroom Kingdom into getting this horrible disease. Then, for inexplicable reasons, decides to trick Bowser to eating this mushroom, which causes him to inhale everyone in the Peach's castle. So Mario and Luigi are stuck inside Bowser's body. And you control Bowser on the top screen and Mario and Luigi on the bottom. And for ex and Mario and Luigi must do things in order to help Bowser on his quest while they're really trying to do their own quest. For example, Bowser is trying to lift a block. So they have to go to his adrenal glands and pump Bowser up to lift the block. <laughs> that sounds safe. <laughs> um, later, Bowser gets some pollen... And and he needs to uh, to push a sh sailing ship, so they tickle his nose until they sneeze the ship <laughs> outwards, and various stuff like that. And um, anywho, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm about three fourths of the way in the game. There's um, as I mentioned, Bowser is the mecha. Bowser, it turns out, can unlock his secret potential when his life is threatened. And turn into an 80 foot tall version of himself. And then he does battle with giant mecha castles, trains, and a random beanie cap that is in an ocean at one point. Why he's <laughs> never done this before, we don't know. Frankly, we don't care. Well, you act they actually do explain it. He's never done it before because no one's has stimulated his adrenal glands right when only Mario and Luigi inside the rump command, I swear that's what it's called. <laughs> Oh, wow. Can exercise the power to make him grow. What, they like punch wow. his prostate around a little? <laughs> yeah, well, wow. You, know, you actually ride little boats. 
and, sh- and you ride little boats in his adrenal system and shoot little char- electrical charges into his spinal system to, uh, I, what is it, it says Bowser's energies, energizing, that's what they call it. Oh, Lord. Wow. Oh, Nintendo. I need to play this game. Yeah. Anyway, it's fun. The um, the playing as Bowser segments are entertaining. The playing as Mario and Luigi segments are a blast. It has one small problem in that it's the the some of the touchscreen stuff is a little gimmicky, um, and also sometimes you play as Bowser for entirely too long. I know that sounds weird, but like Bowser is not why I'm playing the Mario and Luigi game. And while that's fun, it is fun to play as Bowser. Sometimes an hour of Bowser, two hours of Bowser, right, is not really what I... Especially since Bowser is much more limited in what he can do than the Mario Brothers are. Um, it, it's kind of got, in that aspect, it's got, you know, sequelitis in, in a kind of reverse sense. In that a lot of games get stale. I think Nintendo is so worried about this game getting stale, they actually threw too much new stuff in. Right. So, there you go. It's a blast. It's definitely worth 30 bucks. Uh, Mario & Luigi is some of the best RPG gaming that exists, in my opinion. So, pick it up. And cool. Kevin's giving me the eye, because he's giving Full me the... Full claim, Eric. Yeah. I like, might have to try it out, though. It sounds cool. Like, you know, I mean, it's no Chrono Trigger, but fuck, what is? You yeah, know? true. Like, no, it, Fantasy it Star is, 4. Ha, ha, ha. It ha, is ha, heart ha, and soul. Not the stories, but the gameplay is is the true successor to Super Mario RPG. Mm. Like, like at its at its core, that is what they've done. They've created their own Super Mario RPG. Now, they don't have the awesome square plot and characters that Super Mario RPG did, but they do have some hol- wonderfully hilarious writing. Yeah. Anyway, I babbled on long enough. I believe Susie should go next with her... RPG? RPG. Yes. Uh, well, the game I've been playing... I've been playing Vesperia, of course, since, you know, for... Forever? For, for like, a, a year or two now. It's awesome. <laughs> it's... Yeah. But, anyhow... I woke up in the middle of the night one night with this burning urge to play Breath of Fire 4. And I got up, and I got, and I went to the consoles, and I was like, oh no, my PlayStation 1 isn't hooked up. And then Eric was like, well, the PlayStation 3 will play PlayStation 1 games. I was like, excellent! Go, fetch me play Breath of Fire 4! And so I got Breath of Fire 4, and I put in the PlayStation 3. And I realized that this was the wrong game, this was not the game I wanted to play. <laughs> and so I said, Eric, go fetch me Breath of Fire 3! <laughs> <laughs> and so Eric went and got me Breath of Fire I don't 3. I remember and... 4 at all, but yes, 3 is 4 cool. was weird. Well, and then I put Breath of Fire 3 in, and I've been playing that game again. And, oh man, it's so good. I know it's it's real old. It's a PlayStation 1 game. It was made in 1997. I believe it was made in the small interim between the time that the PlayStation 1 was released and they were still waiting for Final Fantasy 7 to come out. Yeah, I, hey, I talked about a Genesis game. <laughs> you know, uh, the thing about the Breath of Fire series, uh, you know, just like you were saying that, just, just as you were saying Fantasy Star was kind of Sega's answer to Final Fantasy, yeah. uh, the Breath of Fire series really runs parallel along the lines with uh, sort of like Capcom's answer to the whole fantasy RPG genre. Which is kind of funny since the first 
where the fire was put out by Square in yep. America. It was. Yeah. It was. Uh, I really think that, well, there's a lot of people who will get up in arms and say that Breath of Fire 2 is the best Breath of Fire. Uh, you know, I, I lean more towards Breath of Fire 3, but I can see what the people who I like, like 2 are saying. I like 3. For me, the thing about the Breath of Fire 3 is that the story is just so... It's so remarkable. It's so remarkable. Um, it's really, when you boil down the story of Breath of Fire 3, it's really a generic, like, this has been done in JRPGs to death. It's the, They almost always have the exact same story. But, but, yeah. but the thing is that Breath of Fire 3 is really one of the... It's really one of the ones that, that made the mold, you know? Yeah. Like... The reason that everybody has heard of this plotline and has done this plotline to death is because Breath of Fire Three did it so well, and it just worked. It just worked and uh, jived really well. Kind of the basis for all. If, if you haven't heard of the Breath of Fire series, which you should have heard of the Breath of Fire series, but if you haven't, the basic premise behind the Breath of Fire series is that your main character is a dragon. He, well, he he's always a guy. is. He he's a guy. He looks like a guy, but, but he's really a dragon. There's there's always some turn of events, usually fairly early on in the game, that reveals that he's actually a dragon. Except in that quirky PS2 Dragon Quarter one where you get possessed by a dragon. Oh, is that what happened in yeah. Dragon Quarter? That was going to be what I was going to follow up with. That I haven't actually played Dragon Quarter. It's nuts. I mean, it's the dark, it's the black sheep of the Breath of Fire series. It's, it's actually the basis for the Dead Rising save system. Wow. Like, like the people who worked on Dragon Quarter went on to make Dead Rising. I like about the game is that everything's in scale mm-hmm. with everything. And there's actually a count saying how far away from the surface you are, which is the goal of the game is to find the surface, yeah. which may or may not be a mythical thing. And That's you're like, cool. get possessed by a dragon. And it, every time you use your dragon powers, it slowly kills you. If your D meter reaches 100%, you turn into a dragon for real and destroy the world. Well, like, I remember in the first Breath of Fire, you knew that you were a member of the Black Dragon Clan, but mm-hmm. that was almost sort of irrelevant since you kept, since you know, you kept encountering all these other towns that were a member of other colored dragon clans. Yeah. yeah. And the problem with Breath of Fire 1 was basically that you just kind of wandered about until the last, like, the last one-fourth of the game, then they suddenly gave you this really, really awesome plot, just, like, randomly out of nowhere at the end. Oh, yeah, guys, plot. <laughs> oh, like up until that point, you're just kind of going from point A to point B, mm-hmm. because that's where the game allows you to go. Yeah, but then it all ties it together, and it's it's really great. And Breath of Fire Two strings itself together a little bit more coherently. Like your main character, like they give your main character better reason than just this is what's available. It was the first RPG to really hammer it home. Churches are evil. Yes. You will see that one again, kids. <laughs> You'll see that one over and over and over and, and every... here you thought it was Xenogears that came up, but no. No. It's all about Breath of Fire 2, baby. Yes. Oh. I thought Breath of Fire 3 did it better, though. Yeah. Breath of Fire, like, Breath of Fire 2 is a little bit heavy-handed with, ooh, the church is evil, but in Breath of Fire 3, you don't really realize that... Well, it's not the church that's evil in Breath of Fire 3. No, no, the church isn't really 
Well, it, it yeah, it's just God. God, God. Yeah. Fire three. Basically, Breath of Fire three has the God from Preacher. You know, she's a very loving, <laughs> kind, generous God. She just wants all you... the dragons to die or stay in their nice little happy garden where she controls everything they do. Forever. You know, nothing insane or crazy that a person with free will might be against. Yeah, right. yeah, it's fine. Oh, and I wonder now why I'm not a Christian. Oh, well. <laughs> Does your dad listen to this podcast? I'm oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> my mom does, actually, but... uh Hi, Kevin's mom. <laughs> you should have stayed during the reception. I wanted to meet you. I'm Eric. <laughs> You'll know me because I'm loud. <laughs> no, my mom is just awesome like a roadie. She, she makes the bride and groom look good, and then she vanishes before anyone notices she was there. But, yeah, if you're looking for a good example of a PlayStation 1 era RPG that isn't, uh, that isn't, uh, that isn't like Final Fantasy 7, I really do think that Breath of Fire 3 is probably the next best thing that you should go take a look at, uh. Or Sui Coden 2. Yeah. Sui Coden 2 is awesome. It is awesome. I need to play one day. It's How actually... do you know it's awesome, then? The internet has told me so. Oh, yeah, the actually, the, right the American release is actually sort of broken. There's a couple bad music tracks and a whole missing song, but it's mostly awesome. What do you mean by a uh, <clears throat> missing song? Like, like no music just plays? There's a, a subquest point? where you have to gather musicians and find a singer, and they all do a musical number, and no music actually happens. No music actually happens. You terrible. may think your game is frozen. Just wait five or... Like, Wait no more than a couple of minutes, and it should go back to normal. <laughs> Your game hasn't frozen. <laughs> also, the first week one was awesome, so I'm It was pretty good. Two one. was just only by comparison that two is a lot more awesome overall. That I only reason why I say two. And you don't really have to play one to play two. It does help, though. I've been playing My Sims Agents. Wait, That's I a weird one. I think you're playing Brutal Legend. Well, I just beat Brutal Legend, but before that I was playing My Sims Agents. That one's weird. It was a game that shouldn't have been good, but it actually is pretty awesome. Even though it's a My Sims game. Yeah, Sims. It's like, kind of like My... It's kind of this weird combination of Assassin's Creed and Phoenix Wright. What? Like... Assassination! Like, the trick is, is like, you play a detective... And you and you're an actual detective do solving mysteries, and you do so by you know talking to the witnesses, investigating the crime scene, then following up on your leads. How they do this is all your different like following up on the leads are all different little mini games, and one might be like where you put molecules together to analyze something, or you <coughs> might have to jury rig something so you. Do a series of like pulleys and levers and gears, and they're all the same mini games. They're just you know, and harder and harder versions of it. So it's kind of like Assassin's Creed, where you're doing the same stuff over and over again, but because they constantly ramp up the difficulty of each thing, it's interesting. But it plays out like a Phoenix Wright game because you're doing the same sort of wandering around the world, talking to people. And doing sort of the graphic adventure thing of pointing and clicking and solving the mysteries. Hmm. That's interesting. But it's all done in the My Sims <clears throat> art style. But I mean, it's it's a, 
it's like a perfect game to introduce kids to like the graphic adventure I a whole idea. Like I think you start with My Sims Agents and move on to Sam Max or something like that. Or Monkey Island. Or Monkey, Monkey Island. Island. Although like, I like Sam and Max. Sam and Max. Sam and Max kicks Someone ass. had Sam and Max for sale the other day. Like like an actual copy of Sam and Max. Yeah, like they have season one on the... On no, 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 not the new snow. Sam and Max. Oh, like okay. LucasArts. Sam well, and Max. I believe it because they've been trying to push that stuff more. But it's, it's really fun. I probably would wait for it to get a little cheaper, not 50 bucks like I paid for it. But it might actually be worth it for the amount of time I have invested in playing the game. It's um, neat. I'm just randomly reminded of Loom. That Loom. was a great game. Loom. That's on sale now, too. I never oh, played it is? Loom. Yeah. I don't know what Loom is. Uh, Loom, it's a it's one of those point-and-click uh, storyboard adventures. Yeah, those are fun. Uh, the theme is that it's like medieval setting. Uh, every town has a different thing that they do, and you're from the town of Weavers. Mm. And the weavers all weave their magic spells with, like, songs and things, sort of like the original uh, Zelda, only ah. completely take out the action-adventure aspect there's of... point and click and... Yeah, point and click, so there's puzzles, you have to find the right items. Yeah. Under yeah. a killing moon. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's really great. It's full of really uh, a lot of good things. I think it was it was also made by LucasArts during that phase when they were making really good games. And then they just, like, never touched it again. Yeah. Like, it's very obvious that there's, like, spells that they were supposed to do that they just didn't do for whatever reason. And the story was actually really, really linear. Like, okay, yeah. But it was still really good. I want to think, I think that might have actually LucasArts might announce that Loom's one of the ones that they're redoing like they did on Monkey Island. Oh, cool. I yeah, Loom, Loom is, I, yes, Loom is one of the ones getting redone. Yeah. Oh, so. awesome. Like, Loom, Loom is one of the ones like Monkey Island that's getting redone. I hope, I hope they leave the plot what it is because if the plot is like I remember playing it when I played it as a child. Uh, <laughs> and so many things are just as how you remembered it as a child. Well, I remember as a child like it was, it was semi-dark. It was yeah. just a little bit dark and not like Oh, terrible, you know, horrifying thing. So it probably wasn't cheesy. It, it just expressed a lot of concepts and ideas that were maybe a little bit more grim than just, you know, Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> but you don't get much more grim than metal. No. no. Metal. But you do get awesome out of metal. So I think we can now get into Brutal Legend. Oh, God, Brutal Legend. Decapitation! Which also has an awesome opening. From the very point point the disc is put into the system. Immediately starts with Jack Black taking you to a music store to give you the album. Of Brutal, Brutal Legend. Legend. <laughs> Which he won't buy. Yeah, he won't buy because it's too, 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 it's awesome. too awesome. He has to share it with the world. Has anyone actually sat there on the title screen and noticed he keeps pointing at the press start button? Yeah. He'll point at the press start button. You'll see Jack Black's hand point at the uh, where it says press start on the album cover. And if you keep sitting there, he'll throw up both hands and like point at the start button. <laughs> I only noticed this because I, was, I had, was on the title screen and doing something else for a minute. It, the game's got... It's a Tim Schafer game. It is. Who did... Double Fine Productions. Who has done things like Grim Fandango and Full Throttle and Psychonauts. And uh, hopefully this game just played better than Psychonauts. Psychonauts was a, an unfortunate... Well, well, Psychonauts, Psychonauts is awesome. Well, Psychonauts is an awesome It had game. some gameplay issues. The story and such was really amusing. Well, that's a that's a 
Tim, Tim Schafer game. game. Yeah. The gameplay is going to have its quirks, but the characters' story is going to be amazing. Yeah, and this brutal legend, legend is, is no, no exception. Uh, you start off. You play as a roadie. You play as Jack Black as a roadie. Yeah, like it's basically <laughs> just like Jack Black acting like he always does, which. I'm a fan of that act, yes. so... I don't know, I think as you play through the game, you realize that more and more this guy has his own sto- his, his own personality, personality, his own reasons for being there. He actually does experience some character growth. He does. It's amazing, Like you, I mean, it's it, it starts off going, oh yeah, this is Jack Black, and you realize, but actually this is... He's actually acting. This like, is an actual Yeah, he's acting character. and not... I, you know, it's hard to tell when Jack Black is being serious or joking in real life, but he... he was he at least seemed to be very serious about feeling that this was a real acting gig in this game, and he took it very seriously as an acting role. And like he's actually been running around like everywhere, like pimping this game, like one would pimp a movie, yes, or like, a book deal or something. Have you seen like the Jimmy Kimmel live where he showed up in costume as Eddie? No. Eddie oh, that's as, brilliant. Uh, Eddie Riggs. Yeah, that's Jack brilliant. Riggs, sorry, it's it's. That's someone else. But he... Yes, he, he actually had a ridiculous muscle suit on, but he came in walking on carrying the battle axe with the long hair, and <laughs> it was like on Jimmy Kimmel Live. I I actually found that from the link from Penny Arcade to Tim Schafer telling us how it's not an RTS, when it really is. Like, and you know, of course Tim Schafer was on, um, what's his face? Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. But I actually got Tim Schafer to go talk about his video game on a late night talk show, and I thought that was awesome. And no one's buying this game from my Walmart except for me and Inabito. And so what the hell are wrong with you people? But uh, <laughs> it's a really good game. And and so you're this roadie who, do awesome circumstance, ends up in this heavy metal world where he is the one true savior, but he refuses to admit that he's the one true savior. I mean, it's, He's just there to make other people look good. It's like... Kind of like Lord of the Rings meets the cover of every metal album ever. It it really is, and it's. Yeah, I thought it's kind of a really almost trope on the whole adventure game. It is thing because normally you're just one dude who's doing everything, but no one's really quite sure <coughs> that you're the person that's doing it. And the whole thing is that he's doing this so that no one will realize that he's doing it. He's generally making he's someone being else a roadie. Look good. He's being yeah. a roadie, like he's. And I thought it was a really neat way of describing what you would always do in these games but in an entirely different context and I do like the game manages to it's when you get down to brass tacks it is a real time strategy game but it starts off totally as an adventure game and eases in more and more aspects where you have to control groups of people to do things like it actually it actually sort of eases you into it and you don't even realize that you're doing it mm-hmm. like first you learn to control Jack not Jack Eddie and he's <laughs> hacking and slashing, doing his thing. And then they introduce you to the driving segments, because it's a whole open world that you can just drive around in and explore to your heart's content, and you're going to use your car a lot. So they introduce you to the car. And then your first actual main mission, once you get acclimated to the world, is you have to rescue these headbangers. And that begins the main force of your army. And you start by... You just have these four headbangers, and you just command those guys. They teach you how to command them. And those are your base commands for everything else. And they just keep layering it up more and more. You collect more and more people to the point you have an army, and then you start commanding the army. 
in the form of a giant rock concert of yeah. doom to quote our main character holding his guitar in my world this just makes noise here it blows stuff up I can't wait to see what a real rock concert does <laughs> yeah. yeah and a lot of people have been kind of weird weirded out by the whole RTS thing to it and you shouldn't be because it's awesome I don't like RTSs but this is right I don't especially either so I was amused and Tim Schafer has actually did a giant blog post about the RTS stuff to it, and he and he's very, and he points out this is different from any RTS you played because you're still playing the guy while you're doing the RTS stuff. Yes, when it's in the yeah. RTS mode, you can do everything you could normally do when you're adventuring around on yourself, up <clears throat> to and including summoning your car and driving around and well, running people it's, down. Yeah, it's almost like. A squadron-based first-person shooter. I mean, has anyone ever played any of those first-person shooters where you've got a squad of five or six or more guys? The closest and is really Gundam's Yonic Front, which like, is sort of like that. And, and <laughs> from what I've seen, it's almost that, in that you're playing yourself, but you're also playing everyone. Yes, you've got probably, well, you have about up to 40 people to deal with, roughly. Yeah. Depending on what unit, they sometimes count for more and how many units actually spawn are different. But about 40 people tops you're trying to deal with. No, I have heard a complaint that, well, in the beginning of the game, it's pretty fun to, you know, I'll control some guys, go back and kill some people myself, control some guys. At the end of the game, it becomes really hard to not just be controlling the the action, you know, the RTS. What I've discovered is you have to learn to paint broad strokes. You can't, you know, micromanaging will kill you. Yeah. And you just kind of want to go, which is, all right. Which is funny because that's like the anti-RTS. Yeah, like. like the whole idea is that like I learned that playing the game, like you send your wave of guys over here. While you're sitting over there, you jump down. You start buffing them with your guitar. You start hacking out the, like the, the sort of the, the more heinous bad dudes. Or do a little double team with any of your characters. Yeah, like cool the double teams are like, like every friendly unit you could do a double team with. Which gives you a super up hyper powered attack that you can only do when you're double teaming. Yeah, the headbangers form a little circle of headbanging around you. The the razor girls who have cannons hop up on your shoulder and you can direct where they shoot. Things like that. Where it turns in from like a single shot to a giant shotgun blast. Yeah. Or you can hop up on the giant rolling rock stage juggernaut and summon a giant stone sword from the heavens to smite your foes. Yes. This game does have something that I must admit is probably the best thing I have ever heard. That is the idea of Blade Hinge. Yes. Blade Hinge. It's Blade like Stonehenge, but made of swords. Wait till you see the uh, like. The oh special my attack god! From the giant rock machine of death. Yes, where it actually forms a Stonehenge, and then a giant sword comes flying into it and explodes. Pretty much kills anything in one go. Oh man, it's just like yeah. any anything that's ever metal that you can think of. So awesome. It's metal. It's a game of pure metal. I mean, you've got you've got Ozzy Osbourne as the guardian of metal. He's also really the shopkeeper who sells yeah. you stuff. But you know, you got uh, Eddie Kilmeister, uh, Lita Ford, uh, other people. The lead singer of Judas Priest, whose name's flown out of my head. It is to metal what Oh Brother There Were Out There was to country and western, yeah. country and folk music. It takes shots at all genres of metal, you, like pop 
the pop mishup stuff. <laughs> the beginning with yeah. the emo metal. Yeah, oh, like, it's, got goth, it's got shots of Are you creepy ready goth for kids. Metal? It's got hair metal references. Like you first fight against an army of hair metal dudes. It's like they have the exact same units as you do. They're just glam metal versions of everything. And then you fight the emo kids. And you fight, and then you fight the demons in latex and bondage gear. Yeah, that's. Mm. What? Led by Tim Curry. <laughs> Led by Tim Curry. Tim Curry! It is... What's funny is that how all the like rock stars are actually really good actors in they this. They are. You can understand what Ozzy says. I hope everyone listening understands the enormity of this. You can understand the words coming out That's of his mouth. That's Ozzy Osbourne's mouth. <laughs> like, it is... He's not singing or anything, either. <laughs> I won't spoil anything for you this time. It's a good story, and oh my gosh, the second act. It has some On to the end. Wow. Also, it has like an incredibly awesome soundtrack of metal. This is the best use of licensed music ever. I've heard, I know that I've heard that phrase from, from some other publications, podcasts, and it's true. And to be fair, what I said earlier, Ozzy does sing on the soundtrack. He's, there's a couple Ozzy songs, a couple Sabbath songs. We're good. Like, <laughs> they'll, they'll take actual like rock song, uh, metal songs and then cut them up into pieces, and as you play through the scenes, they're adding more and more to it as it happens. I mean, I love... And it's always appropriate to the scene at hand. I love the dramatic car chase sequence to Through the Fire and Flames by Dragon Force. Oh, that was... That, that yes. was incredible. Like, that was really good. Although that got me at that when I first played, because I couldn't figure out where to drive. Yeah. A couple of spots I kept dying. But once you actually realize know where you're going, it's a trip. Yeah, that is a great little sequence. I, it's probably not even my most favorite thing in the game, but that or like the or um, Ozzy's Mr. Crowley. Oh, the Mr. Crowley like that scene. was the Mr. Crowley scene because it's it's an actual cinema scene with Mr. Crowley scored to the background and it's completely appropriate. Like it, it, this is the most awesomely metal game ever, and this might be my game of the year. I'm not sure yet. It's yeah, it's you, really you got a couple really months good. left. Your car does have like a. You get a radio for your car, the mouth of metal, where you can listen to the songs of the game. But when you get those point, story points of the game, there are specific songs yeah. that play at different points in the game for certain scenes. And I thought it was all set really well. And a great touch is, like, when you get out of the car, like, as the further you walk away from the car, the, the music will fade out from the car. So it's like, you're li- like you can hear the radio going on yeah. when you're stepping out of your car. And the deuce is so awesome. Yeah. Especially when I get, like, to be able to shoot lightning bolts from the car. Lightning (laughs) cannons and subwoofers. Subwoofers from the, like, as a defensive back weapon. Yeah, they basically blow enemies away from you. Eventually, my axe became a taser axe. And you can just run people down in the car, which is always funny. (laughs) Yeah, this is, we could probably do a whole, actual whole awesome cast about this if the rest of the people had played it. And you should. And you will. I want to. That's true. I'm sure we'll do an actual just brutal legend podcast at some point when we actually go out through all the spoilers and everything. But there are spoilers because there's such spoilers in this. Mel man, this had way more of a plot than I thought it would. It wasn't all just lol metal. Ha ha, we're so brutal. It's a legend. <laughs> like it wasn't that. I did beat this game in 12 hours, which seems somewhat appropriate, but somewhat short still. I wish there was more. I. Th- well, you know, there's a saying, there's there's a difference between uh, 
between a game being literally too short and should have gone on, and yeah. it leaves you wanting more. There, and it seems like Brutal Legend seems to fall into the category where it just left, leaves you wanting before more. I, well before I reached the end of the game, no matter how long it was, it wasn't going to be long enough. It, I did think I'd gone through about a third of the game when I'd really gone through half of it, but yeah. it was still pretty awesome. I was expecting a more, uh, after, right before the final boss fight, I was expecting I was going to beat the fight before the boss fight and then have to backtrack through some stuff to go back towards where we started from, but as it turns out, no, here's the boss. Like, I do actually feel that there's another few hours of the game they meant to put in and to it and then didn't have a chance to. We may get downloadable content. The box swears it'll have downloadable content. Because what happens is, like, the first half of the game, it's one giant continent, and you go through all the different areas of the continent, and each area has its own thing. Where and then, But once you get to the second half of the game, they're much more segmented areas, mm-hmm. and there are areas where I travel to where it totally looks like something should be there, and an event should happen there, but doesn't. Yeah. And so it really kind of feels like they wanted it to go along more, mm-hmm. but they just didn't get a chance to finish it up. They had to put it out and they wanted to tighten up what they had. Because they do, like, several different game types in one game. Well, that's probably why it was, like, like in development, in development, then the limbo happened, then it had to be finished up real quickly for EA, right? Yeah, like... And then they had to deal with lawsuits and... Fun. Yeah, so... But it does feel like there was there was more to it. They just didn't have a chance to get to it. Like when you go through Army Three, then straight on to Army Four, it does really feel like there's been more stretch to it. But there wasn't. But that said, you, there's it's so freaking like when you beat it, you feel like you you know you've conquered the metal, and it's in in the intro. It did something that I really liked, which is. Right right before the very first time the characters ever cussed, it paused and said, No, oh, yeah. wait a minute. Do you want to hear the cussing? And right before the very first act of really gruesome gore happened, it paused and said, No, wait a minute. Do you want to see the really awesome gruesome gore? Only if it's really awesome. <laughs> and historically accurate. And historically accurate. Uh, let's see. And I like that because I know all these guys will want to see the cussing and the gore, but, you know, I kind of don't want to see a lot of gore, and so I'm glad that I can turn that off without really, like, taking away from the game, you know? Yeah, it's true. That, well, maybe it is that gory. Never mind. Dude's heads explode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is that gory. <laughs> I'd turn off the gore thing and get a chance if that's going to bother you. But it is a, it's a good game. It's an M-rated game, so, you know, it's, they went with it. You can choose to have it bleeped and non-bloody, or bloody and bleeped, or non-bleeped and non-bloody. Whatever you want. And it asks you first. I think that's a nice touch. And if you change your mind, you can go back to the options and change it. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty neat. Yes. It's also got multiplayer to it, but I haven't played the multiplayer. Neither have I, but I'm not terribly interested in multiplayer. It's pretty much the RTS battles. You're actually just facing off other people. Now, you can play, and I haven't, you can play multiplayer mode by yourself to get a feel for it. Yeah. If you want to, and someone's... I feel as if we should be wrapping up. As if some invisible force is gesturing at me, telling me we're almost at the end of the podcast. So, yes, in the end, video games... Awesome. 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 Very awesome. And now, 
Till next week, sirs and ladies, people from Sweden, we're out. I love you, Sweden. Bye, Sweden. We love you, Sweden. Good night.